Amen. Well, I know several people have just mentioned how great it is to see a variety of people here from uh, from days gone by. And I know, you think about the joy that we share together as a family, as a spiritual family. You know, the, just that we've seen people become disciples of Jesus together. Right. We've seen people even get married together. Right. You know, a lot of them in this room. We knew when they were single and they are now married. We've seen even a few young children come out of that, those relationships. And those are all exciting. You know, we've shared sadness together. You know, we've lost people that we love. You know, we've seen... We've seen a number of people have to move to other places to follow their passions and their careers, and uh, and and others like Yvonne coming to to uh, be here in, in uh, Vermont repeatedly from somewhere in North Carolina, right? So God really continues to move, and you know it, it makes me think a lot about just our our spiritual life together, and I want to spend some di- some time today talking about your everyday life with God. And it struck me, I'm taking a, a class uh, on spiritual life, and, and in the class, uh, one, of the, one of the teachers uh, used a quote from Dallas Willard, who's one, one of my favorite authors on spiritual formation. But Dallas Willard said, the main thing that you bring the church is the person you become. Amen. And that's what everybody will see. That's what's going to get reproduced. That's what people will believe. Arrange your life so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Mm. That's what you bring to church. It's the person that you're becoming. It's that's what everybody sees. If you notice, you can say one thing, but if you're you're not that at the core of core, nobody believes you. They go, right. yeah, no, Peter, you, you can say that. You can say you're great at basketball. Oh, we've seen you play. Right? So, we can even say, see, see, you say you love singing, but we don't love singing with you, you know, or those sorts of things. But so it's really who you're becoming in your everyday walk with God, in your relationship with God, that really makes all the difference. I want to do a little practical exercise here. So open your Bibles, paper, electronic, some form. You're going to need them for a moment in Psalm 4610. Psalm 4610, and my version says, I like this version, it says, Stop your striving and recognize that I am God. I will be exalted over the nations, I will be exalted over the earth. So what I'd like for us to do is each person for the next minute or so, read that scripture silently, since we're all together here. Take a breath and reflect on what it means to you. Pray about it. And if you finish that, just look back and do it again for a time or two until we're done. So let's do that. So does everybody have Psalm 46 and verse 10? Some versions may say, be still and know that I'm God. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's start for about a minute or so.
about in a minute. <coughs> Any thoughts? What are you guys experiencing doing that? What, what strikes you from that passage? I think the first thing is that to be still, which is really hard to do. Not only like just from being busy in your body, but being busy in your mind. Um, so that's a struggle. And the other thing is that know that I am God, which helps remind me that that means that I am not. Which is <laughs> <laughs> also a relief. Yeah. <laughs> so those two things. That's great. Yeah. Okay, I, uh, so my, my version, I think I had a, was a Holman version that says, stop your fighting. So me, and I, I, I remember the be still one, now, but I was thinking, stop your fighting. This kind of reminds me of that old, uh, I, I think of it more as a hard thing where like, the, the guy's kind of like leaning into the big guy, and the big guy just has his hand on the little guy's forehead. Okay? He's trying to swing and swing and swing, and God's just telling them, like, look, you're, you're covered, I got you, you're all right, you know, just stop fighting against it, I'm, I got you. Yeah. Rob, that's growing up with siblings. Our top most thing is also we want us to stop worry and fighting the good things on our own and no worry Space and that's that's exactly it allows God in so that you're not pushing him out with something else. So for me I get from not just us or me be still, but everything in this earth would be still if God commanded it to. That everything speaks to God, not just me. And that he has the power to make anything still. Amen. Thank you. I'll just keep doing this for a few more minutes, and that could be my lesson. <laughs> no, but seriously, you know, even as I worked through and did this exercise myself, the thing that struck me is that stop your striving, as the NET version says, and recognize that I'm God. I will be exalted in the nations. Like at the end, every knee will bow to Jesus. You know, everyone will exalt Jesus as Lord. Everyone will exalt God. And so, why do I keep trying to step in and do it for Him? Why, why do I feel sometimes, oh, well, you know, if God were here, he would, he would do something different, so I've got, to try and, I've got to try and change the outcome. Think about it for a minute. Just, if you just let go of the outcomes, the results, and you're just worried about, I just want to be like God. I just want to let God be in control of this. I want to let God really do what God is going to do. You know, he's, you know, if you think about it, how can I participate in your work, God, today? Whatever you're doing, whatever I'm seeing in front of me, that's reality. The good, the bad, the awesome, the ugly. But God, okay, if you were me here, what would you do in this situation? How can I be with you? You know, we've heard a lot of a, a phrase, what 
what would Jesus do? Now, if you were in the wristband, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I'm going to modify it in my thinking because you know what? I personally am not a first century Jewish carpenter or actually a stonemason. He might have been a stonemason, actually, a tecton, but that's a nerdy discussion for later. But, <laughs> you know, it's thinking about that's not me. I'm not that. So, what would Jesus do? Well, you know, sometimes I'll just take the facts I know about Jesus, I'll bring them in. Well, Jesus would do this. <clears throat> Maybe you can change the expression to be, what would Peter do with Jesus present? <clears throat> so put your name in there so you have your own. So mine, what would P-D-W-J-P? <clears throat> so it'll be a bigger bracelet. But, you know, but even for you, what would Margaret do with Jesus present? You know, I'm just in this situation. I showed up. God's already working some way, and something's happened. Here I am. I am, I am the the uh, reflection of God here. I, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm being still. I'm trying to see what does God want to do through me right here. Right. You know, it requires that we know more than just Bible facts. You know, it requires that we really have taken and figure out what does this mean in my own life. You know, what does it mean to have the, the Word of God, as it says in, in Colossians, dwell in me richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with grace in your heart to God. You know, Paul was expressing there to the Colossi church just about, we need to let the Word of God, the Word of Christ, I stumble on it because that's the only place in the whole Bible that uses the Word of Christ. But that's okay. The words of Christ, because Christ said in Luke, that everything he said was exactly what the Father said, so it's really not a big deal. It's the same word that dwelling richly, uh, where it talks about in Romans, about we're competent to counsel each other, we're competent to instruct each other, we're competent to encourage. I went around Nutheo, if you know about Nuthetic counseling, but it's another one. That's really that the word is in you so much that you're able to use it in your life situations to really impact the way that you behave. What would Peter do with Jesus present? It's because I'm letting the word of God dwell in me richly. Now, you go, what, Peter? I don't have enough faith. Well, where's faith come from? The word of God. The word of God, that's where faith comes from. Being and seeing what God has done, what he promised me to do, how he plans to work. Really, we can even change the way we respond in situations if we dwell on the word of God and let that word come to mind, come to heart, come to the foreground, when we're in a situation, that's what we're thinking about. You know, not what would you know somebody, not what would would President Biden do, but what would Peter do with Jesus, with Jesus present at the time? You know, that's that's really you know John talks about the one who loves his life destroys it, and the one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. This is really how you're guarding your eternal life. <clears throat> you're just deciding, okay, you know what? What happens in this situation, if I do it God's way, that's probably not the best for Peter in the moment, morally speaking. You know, telling the truth. You know, what's Steve Neff going to tell the state trooper when he gets pulled over doing 87 miles an hour, whatever, whatever you said, 107. <laughs> how he goes, first thing, how fast are you going? Hmm. What do I say here? <laughs> Only God can judge me. Yeah. I can say I was going pretty fast. <laughs> I was praying about it, though, that I wouldn't get caught. <laughs> wait, wait, no, no, I didn't say that. <clears throat> um, regarding our eternal life, you know, 
when you think about it, I, I came up with this phrase when I was writing this summer, and I, I shared with some of the group last week or two about how I, I was in situations where I really was I was afraid. You know, I, like I developed this sort of paranoia of, of bridges with metal decks. When you're on a motorcycle, it does this really neat thing. It goes, <laughs> and there's one particular one in, in, in near Alaska where it's 2,000 feet long. And, it's, oh. and, and there's semi trucks coming at you at 50 miles an hour over in their nice little lane. You're over here going, you know, and, and all I can imagine is I'm going to just burn, you know, veer over and, and smack head on into a semi truck, and that's the last you'll ever hear of me. Um, but I got afraid of it. And so it really became fearful. Like, so, because I, I went over this long bridge and I knew I'd have to come back because it's the only way to get out of Alaska, save, ship your bike home, and fly. And so, um, my motorcycle. So I, I was paranoid, but then I got thinking, you know, God's in control of everything that I'm afraid of. Everything. You know, like on that bridge, you know, it doesn't matter that I have, I've ridden a motorcycle 200,000 miles. I've ridden over lots of metal bridges. I've never crashed. God has allowed me enough to know how to ride a motorcycle safely. That's really not a problem. It's more here or in here than it is in the reality of it. Or even, you know, even that. Even if that wasn't the case, he's in control of which trucks are coming over. He controls the, even a little, every little, I was thinking about it, every little metal spine on the gridding on the deck of the bridge. He controlled every bit of that. He controls whether, you know, anything that I can worry about, you know, and I can worry about a lot of stuff. I can think about a lot of things. He's in control of that. <clears throat> wow. Well, that really, I think it plays out much more broadly than Peter's fear of metal bridges, right? You know, it's God's in control of my future. Will I have the right job? <clears throat> Will everything work out the way I'd like it to or not like it to? Now, what are we going to say? What would Peter do with Jesus present? <clears throat> so when I get in that situation, okay, oh, how am I supposed to handle this? Well, I can go back to Psalm 46. I can say, be still. Know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'm there for you. <clears throat> my family. What happens in my family with my children, my parents, whatever? Right. God's in control of that. God owns all of it. Will 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 they become Christians? Will they will they they hate me my whole life? Will they love me my whole life? Will <clears throat> my kids do well? I mean, I think the farther you get along in parenting, the more you think, well, how will my children do? What's what's gonna how I, how well have I prepared them? God's in control of everything that I'm afraid of. <clears throat> my relationships, my relationships at work, with family, at home, are going great. They're going awful. Some are great. Some are awful. Some are neutral. Some have aspects that are great. <clears throat> God's in control of all that. You actually can't make any of hairs grow, right, Ryan? By <clears throat> worrying about it. Apparently, <clears throat> yeah, there's some drugs, maybe, but <clears throat> worrying. You know, God's in control of all of that. You know, my safety. You know, that was my my prayer. My safety. I was worried about my safety, <clears throat> and yet God's in control of that too. God. God is there for us. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, it says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Well, first which was actually second in the passage, God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. He wants everyone to know the truth about him, to be influenced, to live for him, to live godly lives. 
But what does he want us to do about it? Well, he wants us first to pray about all the things that we worry about. And this list is uh, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. He really wants us, he wants you, he wants me to have a peaceful, godly life, an everyday life. He wants your everyday life to be peaceful and full of joy and full of contentment and full of confidence in your relationship with God. He wants you to have that security because you know that you're not God, but He is. He's there for you. That's really the way of thinking, you know, because it can be really easy to to build anything on sort of the, 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 the high points of it. You know, there's some great high points in our life. If you get married, getting married is a great high point, right? It's an awesome high point. <clears throat> you know, um, uh, I, I, I guarantee you it's the beginning of a long journey. You know, and we're a ways down. You know, 42 years we've celebrated this year. We've loved almost every minute of it, almost every minute of being married. Um, I've loved every minute. I just I can't speak for Jeanette because I know who I am. And I'm sure there were some bad points in there, right? <laughs> You know, even having children, isn't it great to have children? It's awesome to see little kids running around. My favorite personal age is kindergarten, five years old, six years old. They still trust you 100%. They still listen to you most of the time. They, they start to try to obey you a bit more. You know, it's, it's a pretty good, you know, my opinion, a pretty good mix of, of you know, all the pillars there. And then from there, it just goes crazy. And, and I'm waiting for that to return. It's, it's still interesting, but... Um, you know, it's fun. You know, it, it really is interesting. And, and us, even as children with our parents, we're sort of on a journey. You know, we're the ones that are, were or are or still doing it, still driving them crazy, perhaps. <clears throat> but, you know, I think God is working in the midst of all, all of that. God is really is, is in control. So I want to just take a few minutes and talk through the three things that really struck me from the quote that I shared with you as things I think we can be aware of. Let me just read it again. Um, the main thing that you bring the church is the person that you become. And that's what everybody will see. That's what will get reproduced. That's what people will believe. Arrange your life so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. So I want to spend a few minutes just talking about those three things. Joy, confidence, and whatever the third one is. Appreciate who was it? Was it Larry that forgot something up here? Oh, it's rampant. Yeah. It's really great, you know. People are getting, <laughs> as people get into their early and mid fifties, they start to catch up with me as far as being forgetful. So I love it. <laughs> so let's talk about confidence. Confidence in your everyday walk with with Jesus, with God. <clears throat> Have you thought about how the disciples felt early on with Jesus? Like I was, you know, reading in Mark nine and verse thirty. If, you don't want to look there. I'll read some of it to you. It says, they, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Imagine that you're with Jesus. Jesus goes, yep, they're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise from the dead. And they're like, hmm. And you're afraid. You can imagine being with Jesus. You're afraid. I'm afraid to ask Jesus, what do you really mean, Jesus? <clears throat> you know, and you ever been afraid? I don't quite get that. I don't quite understand. That was them. They, they didn't have the confidence to ask Jesus, hey, what did you really mean? You know, they were like those students who didn't want to raise their hand. <clears throat> um, 
And just going on a bit further, it says they went to Capernaum. Uh, when he was in the house, he asked him, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because they, on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. <laughs> what were you guys fighting about? Nothing. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so here we are. We, we don't know what Jesus is talking about. We don't want him to know what we're talking about. You know, it's, it's great. It's, it's powerful, right? Um, let's see if I can pull up here. Let's see what it is. You know, it goes on, like in Mark 10, in verse 13, it says, But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. So another time, remember, they children were trying to come in, and he goes, Keep those, the disciples like, Keep those children out of here, they're going to bother the teacher. And Jesus says, He's indignant. What are you doing? So here we are, okay, I'm in charge of crowd control here, and, and Jesus is just mad at me for doing that. Okay, I guess I may not really understand where he's coming from, you know? You know, and he goes on, and he says in, in, in verse 23, I think it is, uh, he looks around and he says to the disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, John, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? They're amazed. like <laughs> Children, okay, we're not getting it. You know, you, 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 the rich don't enter the kingdom. You're like, oh my goodness, don't rich people make it in? You know, they're just sort of grappling with it all, trying to figure it out. And you know, even think about, we know, we know some of their experience leading up to the cross, right? Remember how great the disciples were doing? And, uh, and Jeanette reminded me, well, this is because they were with Jesus and he was gone. And I totally agree with that. So, But you think about Peter... What did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You know, he remembered that so good it made it to the gospels. Get behind me, Satan. You know, and Jesus predicted what he was going to deny him, and what did he do? He denied Jesus. You know, he was confronted. Some people believe that when you did that to a rabbi, you basically were leaving him. You, you were you weren't considered a disciple anymore when you denied that you didn't even know your your rabbi. Then you weren't even a disciple anymore. And that maybe explains in John why Peter had to be brought back in, restored, because he had said, I don't even know who this guy is. Now about James and John? What did they ask for? They got, in one of the Gospels, it says, Mom helped them ask the question. Can we, can we sit at your right and the left in glory? And um, Jesus said, well, you know, you will. You know, he asked him, can you be baptized in the baptism and take the cup of suffering that I'm going to suffer? And they, you know, and they said, yep. And they said, well, you will do that, but you know, where you get to sit in glory, that's not up to me. You think about James and John, what do you know about them? Well, James, he was the first apostle murdered, right? And John, well, he got exiled to Patmos. He was, he was the youngest guy, but he got to be, you know, into his old age to get to suffer and be persecuted. So, you know, some stuff coming up. How about Thomas? Well, Thomas is like, I don't believe. I wasn't there. I didn't get to see it. I'm not believing, you know. We call him Doubting Thomas. He probably was, had more faith than I did, I'm sure. But, you know, Judas, Judas betrayed Jesus. And, uh, and they all, they all really left him in his time of need. So this was not, shall we say, a super confident group. But then we catch up with them a little later, you know, in, um, oh yeah, so even a little bit later. So John 20, after the resurrection, in verse 19, on the evening that, of the first day of the week when the disciples came together, 
with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So here they are. They've got the doors locked, and Jesus comes walking into them, you know, because they were afraid. And I'd be afraid, too. Jesus has died. The Jews have tried to kill us. We're behind locked doors. A week later, you know, they're back together again, and Thomas is with them in verse 26. And it says, uh, Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So they'd seen Jesus, they knew he was resurrected, and they still had the doors locked. We're afraid. We don't know what's going on. We're keeping them out. You know, that's that's sort of how it was, you know, coming uh, up to and, and right after the resurrection of Jesus. But then you catch up with them in Acts chapter 4 and verse 18. Uh, and we'll read it here, but it basically said we cannot, well, we'll read it here. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine that? They call in all of us. We get called down to City Hall, and they say, okay, we've got a restraining order against you. You can never say the word Jesus again. You can't tell it to anybody. And we could go home and lock the doors. And I think that's what the disciples did before this time. But it says, they, but they replied, Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have heard Excuse me, we've seen and heard. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly in verse 31. Same guys, same Jesus, same Jewish authorities, maybe even more abusive, more trying to shut them down, I mean, more trying to kill them, and yet their whole spirit has changed, their confidence has changed, and you think about it, what changed? resurrection of Jesus. They realize this is the real deal. This is the real thing. <clears throat> What's changed in us? What's changed in us when we come to realize, connect, acknowledge, and understand that Jesus is resurrected, that we have eternal life, that we're part of an eternal kingdom. We have nothing to fear. We don't have death to fear. We don't even have metal graded bridges to fear. <clears throat> There's nothing. In fact, in your next interaction, when you're tempted to be afraid, to go, I don't really know if I can be confident in Jesus. Just bring out, what would Peter do with Jesus present? Just, just Jesus is present. Jesus is there. Jesus promises his resurrection. He's with you. <clears throat> Remember in, in Psalm 46, he said, you still know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I, my name will be put out there. People will know who I am. What would Peter do with Jesus present? He would acknowledge that. He would he would recognize that God is God. Awesome. I, I like being confident with that. That's that's bigger than me. The second one, joy. <coughs> second Corinthians chapter eight. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace of God that has God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded for us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 through 4. This joy here, and, and it, it wells up in giving, but really that's not the point here. It's the their overflowing joy. That word is really is rare. That means 
extremely overflowing, like super abundance, like excessive abundance. Paul, it's only used two other times by Paul. And in those other times, he's talking about the abundance of evil in this world. And we know that's overflowing. Evil is overflowing here. And he talks about the abundance of God's grace. And we know that's overflowing. And so this is the overflowing joy that they had. You know, and it wasn't because of their circumstances. You know, they, they had trials, extreme trials, it says. They had extreme poverty, but they had decided to give themselves to the Lord. And they decided that in that situation, we're going to do what we can do. And in fact, they did more than Paul expected. It says they urgently pleaded that they wanted to participate in this. They wanted to be generous. They wanted to be involved here. They saw their opportunity to, what would Jesus do? What would Peter do with Jesus present? What would these, these brothers do uh, recognizing that they're doing it for Jesus? That was their perspective. And when they did that, <clears throat> their joy was over, overflowing. You know, I think of Jesus, where it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He knew awesome. I mean, he, more than any of us, knew how incredible it was to be with God. He had that, that joy in his sight. He knew what was coming. And I think that's what was happening here with the Macedonian churches. They, they, you know, we're poor. Circumstances are awful. But we know who God is. God's amazing. And so we're very excited. We're overjoyed. It really has filled us up because we're looking ahead. We have expectations of what that's going to be. See, that's the kind of joy in your everyday life that impacts the people around you. Bad things are happening. Okay, but I'm joyful. I don't really have any money to give, but I'm excited to give what I can give. I, you know, as, as Tom Caswell said a few months ago when he preached here, he said, I can't solve everything, but I can do something. I can have an impact on the person that's in front of me, and I can be joyful about it. I can be excited. I can be happy because I know who I believe in. And then lastly, let's look over in, in, uh, in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 1. And the last thing that, that I mentioned was just the idea of being content. And in Scripture, that's one of my memory verses, that godliness with contentment is great gain. And Jeanette and I were talking to the William, well, what's, what's godliness without contentment? I'm not quite sure how that works, you know. I guess you could be uncontent, not acknowledging that God, you know, even... Even I think, you know, Paul, it says that he prayed to have the thorn removed. And Jesus says, my, my, my grace to you is sufficient. Right? Like, okay, I guess at that point, Paul decided to be content. He knew, okay, what's happening is what's happening. Let's look here. It says, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above not things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. Keep thinking about things above, not things on earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ. Your contentment comes from realizing that it's those things that matter, that you too are going to be revealed in glory. And you think about it, What's an example of a thing above versus a thing below? What's something, a thing above? What's he talking about? Heaven. Heaven? Okay. Heaven, right? So where are we, you know, what, what do you think about in heaven? How do you make it real? Being with God. Okay. 
It's an interesting question. I know that Randy Alcorn wrote a great book on heaven. And he says the reason most people don't want to go to heaven is because they don't think they'll like it there. <laughs> so I would encourage you to study out heaven a, bit, a lot more. But you think about it, you know, if that really is where all joy and peace and where God is, it's way better than here. <laughs> it is, seriously. You know, and have you thought about, you know, some people say, well, I, you know, I'm old, I'm getting close to dying, but I, I'm really praying that I can live long enough to go on my vacation to Hawaii before I die and go to heaven. You know, it's like, okay, you know, and Hawaii's great. You know, I, I've been there a few times, had family there, and I'm sure so many of you have too. But compared to heaven, it's, it's minor. It's minor league. It's way minor league. And sometimes we can start thinking about, okay, if I could just be satisfied with what's going on in my life, you know, the house I live in, the car I drive, the friends I have, the work I have to do, it's so hard to be content because it's not what I want. And he says here that, you know, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. <clears throat> keep seeking godliness. Keep seeking, you know, that, that opportunity, as I said in the quote in the front, that your everyday life is going to be what people see. It's what gets replicated. It's what people experience with you. You really have the opportunity by being content with God to bring godliness into your world. You really are the light of the world. You're bringing godliness and contentment with you right where you live for the momentary bit until you get to be in God's eternal contentment. And that's really the exciting thing about it is to go, for the moment right now, when I talk to somebody, what would Peter do with Jesus present is the opportunity to bring God's contentment into that interaction, that relationship, to really love someone to the best of my ability like how like how God would view, how he would bring it in. You know, and I think that that's really, as we take communion, really I'd like you to reflect on, on two things. For you, what does it mean, what would you do with Jesus' present? Because really the communion, when Jesus broke the bread and drank the wine, he just was reminding that I'm always with you. Whenever you eat or drink, excuse me, I'm, I'm with you. I'm there for you. I'm connected with you. I'm supporting you. Be still and know that I'm God. Let's pray. Father, it's just great to be together to reflect on you. Just how powerful you are, how loving you are, how much you care about each one of us, and how you know exactly where we're at and what we need. And that we just pray that as we as we take communion, that we can really reflect on how much you love us, you care for us. And you really want to be there with us as we live our lives for you. We just are grateful for Jesus, grateful for this time to be together. Please help us to see your hand at work in everything that goes on in our lives. We love you. That's in Jesus' name. Amen.